Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, Fight fans? We're back for another episode of Inside Boxing Live. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. Going to be a great show today. we got Brian Campbell on the program, CBS Sports writer and reporter. We also have Keith, one-time Thurman. He's been in the news recently. He has a fight coming up with Errol Spence down the line. That's going to be great coming up on the show. Of course, you can always tweet us using the hashtag IBL at CompuBox and leave your comments in the comment section. I will get to them later on in the program. But we have a jam packed show today. A lot of things to cover uh, since our last show. Wilder Stavern finalized for November 4th. We got to the bottom of that. Uh, Luis Ortiz is out. Uh, Bermain Stavern is in. That's going to happen on November 4th. Kodo Ali, uh, whether you like it or not, is happening December 2nd on HBO from The Garden. Should be uh, Miguel Cotto's last fight of his storied career. Uh, we're two weeks away from the return of Anthony Joshua. Uh, that should be a great fight between him and Pulev. Also, we are closer to the return of Danny Jacobs and Sergey Kovalov, two fighters coming off of losses, looking to pick up W's, get back on the winning track. Of course, Danny Jacobs will be fighting on uh, HBO. Uh, we also found out why Mikey Garcia turned down the fight with uh, Miguel Cotto. Uh, we're going to touch on that in a new segment that we have prepared for you. Uh, Errol Spence back in the news. He's going to be fighting Lamont Peterson sometime in January. Keith Thurman looming. Uh, maybe he gets the winner of that fight. Keith Thurman coming on the show, of course, to talk about that and much more. But first, we have to start with the Showtime triple header from the Barclays Center. On Saturday night, I was in attendance. I was uh, ringside doing the CompuBox, of course. And uh, it was a great crowd. Um, it was lively crowd. I was wondering what the crowd was going to be like with uh, three fighters. Not exactly household names, but these Brooklyn fans come out in droves. They're an energetic crowd, and uh, they were awesome. Uh, the first fight of the night, we had uh, Austin Trout taking on Jarrett Hurd, and a lot of people said, watch out for this fight, because this one might steal the show. Everyone was talking about Charlo Lubin, rightfully so, because we'll get to that fight in a second, but people said, don't sleep on Charlo, uh, I mean, don't sleep on Trout Hurd, uh, and Jarrett Hurd wins the fight in a TKO 10, it was like a tale of two fights. You had Austin Trout, who came out and boxed beautifully in the first four rounds. He was sticking and moving. He was landing power shots. A lot of that had to do with the fact that Jared Hurd has no defense whatsoever. You take a look at the, the final punch stats there. Jared Hurd doesn't have much of a, of a defense. His defense is his chin because he was coming forward with his hands down and Austin Trout, who was not exactly an offensive fighter, was uncharacteristically busy. Trout in rounds 2 through 6 averaged 83 thrown, 26 landed. Hitting him with bombs from pillar to post. Almost had had heard out of there in those early rounds. But once, and I was saying this uh, to my partner at, at CompuBox, once uh, I was saying, you know what, Trout is winning this fight, but I, Hurd's going to win. Hurd's going to knock him out because when Hurd did have his moments early, yeah, Trout was busier early on, but when Hurd hit him, it moved him. He was landing the cleaner shots in those early rounds, or the more powerful shots. And I said, you know what, the tide's going to turn in this fight, and it did. Because I think it was the third or fourth round, maybe the fifth, but Hurd got a, a cut over his eye. And right after the he got the cut, he turned it on, man. 
he turned it on. And uh, he started nailing Trout, who uh, is 32 years old, but looked, he's an old 32. He had a very long amateur career. Been in some wars in his career. Uh, but Jarrett Hurd, 89-31 to 31 edge and power landed over the final three rounds. It was really the tale of, of two fights. You know, it was Trout early, ran out of steam. Young guy, comes on late, knocks him out. Fans were loving it. Dan Raphael sitting behind me tweeting that this is the fight of the year. Turn on Showtime. This is an absolute war. And it was. I mean, the fans were going nuts. It 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 came out of nowhere. Like, it, no one expected Trout to kind of stand and trade. But that was a great fight. And as for Jared Hurd, wouldn't mind seeing him in the ring with Charlo, who won his fight too, or Lara. I mean, this is going to be a little round robin in the 154-pound division, and Showtime has that covered. Second fight of the night was wild. I mean, you could feel the tension in the building as this fight was was mounting. I know these two camps did not like each other. A lot of trash talk going on. And uh, the, they got into the ring, uh, Jamel Charlo and Erickson Lubin. And Lubin came out with that, that gold-plated chest. Uh, he probably needed it on his chin because he uh, got knocked out in round number one. First two minutes of the fight, no action. You know, the prototypical feeling out process. You know, Moro is actually going through his notes talking about uh, – Charlo's past, and oh, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, a short right chopping uppercut lands on the chin of Lubin out cold. And I've seen in boxing when you get knocked out, you got the fencing arms, where your hands go straight up, and guys, you know, that's that's like the normal reaction for a brutal knockout. Lubin was, his legs weren't moving, his arms were like jimmied up, it, it was kind of scary for a second, but he eventually got up, it was brutal knockout. Stunned the entire crowd. I was sitting next to Steve Farhood, Showtime's unofficial uh, scorer, and he said that reminded him of, of Quillen Jacobs, which is a great comparison because that was a first-round knockout, too, at the Barclays Center. Kind of uh, unexpected, a 50-50 fight just like this one. Unbelievable knockout for Charlo. I mean, you got to talk about Jamel Charlo now, both Charlo brothers, as a matter of fact. They are becoming names in their respective divisions. They're learning how to throw with power. They are have a mean streak in them, whether you like it or not. You know, some people don't like the way they handle themselves. Some people do. In boxing, it could be it could work in your favor. You know, like you, this isn't baseball. This isn't uh, basketball. This isn't tennis. You know, you don't play boxing. You got to go in there with a mean streak. I think it's kind of refreshing. Uh, there was a little bit of a skirmish uh, after the fight. I think someone in Charlo's, no, someone in Lubin's camp, grabbed a chair, smacked it over someone's head. Uh, like WWE style, that's not cool. I mean, it let that could have been a, a really bad situation. And bravo to the Barclays security staff because they kind of quieted it down. But for a, there was about three or four minutes after the fight where it was pure chaos ringside. You know, I'm starting to think Bo Galata. Is that going to happen here? We don't want that to happen. But I got up from my my seat at ringside and I went backstage in between fights. Complete chaos in the backstage. There was about forty to fifty dudes screaming, shoving, trying to get into Lubin's locker room. I, was, I assume this is Team Charlo. You had Lou DiBella, the promoter, in the middle of it trying to break everyone up. It was chaotic. It was it was very, very... Uh, it's boxing. It's what, it was, it's, it's what you sign up for, but you know, the, the crowd was was into it. I mean, between the knockout and the, the chair throwing, the crowd was in a frenzy until Lara Gauchet. <laughs> and wow. Uh, brutal. 
Brutal, brutal, brutal fight. Brutally boring. Um, I mean, what do you expect for for Arisendi Lara? He's not the most exciting fighter. He's a stick-and-move type of guy, and that's exactly what he did. He cruised to a, uh, a decision win, but it sucked the air out of the building at the Barclays Center. And one thing about these fans is they're very good fans. They didn't walk out of the arena at the beginning of the fight or during the walkout. They didn't disrespect these two fighters by just leaving before the fight even started. They gave it two or three rounds before the booze started coming in, and then they left. They did leave. I got a bunch of tweets. You know, you were there. Did they leave? Yeah, there were fans leaving. And not only that, there were fans booing, which we hear, but there were also two things that I haven't heard in all my years of uh, going to fights live. And I know a lot of people around me, uh, ringside, they said they never heard before. And that was the, this is boring chant during a fight. And then they started counting down the seconds in the rounds. That was like, I've never heard anything like 10, 9, and then clapping when the round was over. It was, it was crazy. I mean, as for the fight, you know, Lara looked diminished, to be honest with you. He, um, he was a little, he was through a little more, didn't land as much. He was sticking and moving. He knocked down uh, Gaucher early in the fight. As for Gaucher, he didn't land more than double digits in any round. So he was held under 10 punches landed in every single round in the fight. It was a very forgettable fight. I do want to see Lara fight again under these circumstances. You have to put him in the ring with a puncher. You have to put him in the ring with a young fighter. Jamel Charlo, Jared Hurd. We saw Lara in the ring with Angulo. That was a great fight. Angulo knocked him down. It brought out the best in Lara. It was almost like Lara's too good of a boxer where he gets kind of bored in the ring. He's too skilled. So maybe Lara in the ring with a Charlo or a Hurd could be interesting. But I tell you what, it's going to be... I mean, these executives are going to think twice before they put uh, Arizona Lara in the ring once again. So it was a great night of fights at the Barclays Center... Uh, we got Brian Campbell of CBS Sports will be calling in momentarily. Uh, in addition to those fights, we had Errol Spence in attendance. We had Keith Thurman in attendance. They had a press conference before the fight to talk about their careers and what's next for them. Uh, I know that Spence has a fight with Lamont Peterson in January. We don't know where it's going to be, but uh, a lot of people are saying that Errol Spence wants to fight in his home state of Texas. Keep an eye on that. Keith Thurman was in attendance. Uh, he's coming on the show. Uh, today here in Inside Boxing Live. Don't forget to tweet us your questions for Keith. We'll try to get to them as well. But Keith Thurman uh, was asked a lot of questions of when you're going to be back. And we'll get to those in one second. But right now, we have our first guest of the show. He's CBS Sports boxing writer, WWE writer, MMA writer. If there's a fight in a ring, Brian Campbell is writing about it. Brian, you're on Inside Boxing Live. How you doing, man? Well, we wanted to get you on Skype so we can show the haircut, but you know, fans are stuck with with this dude that I got sporting right now. Don't talk about. Look, the FaceTime that Danny C's getting right now. You're basically announcing to the rest of the family, "I'm the Canelo of the Canobios." I like that, though. I like that. <laughs> I love it. You're damn right on the Canelo. I'm the one that brings the the negotiating to the table. But uh, let's talk about the fights on uh, Saturday night, Barclays Center. Uh, give us your your recap of the action that you saw. What did you see there on Saturday night? I love that card. I, I didn't was unable to attend this one specifically, but. 
but love the action that we see at Barclays. And this card brought a lot to the table just from the standpoint of clarity. Like, we don't get that anymore in boxing. We don't get champions fighting each other, let alone, you know, three on the same card in the same division to get us closer to what we have right now with Terrence Crawford in, at the 140 division, which is such a rarity as we, you know, talked about in recent months to get to this point. But look, this was a fun card. This was action. Unfortunately, it was really the pacing of the card that may have put a little bit of a negative cloud at the end of it with uh, Laura going on in the main event, when certainly on paper that, you know, that was not a fight that was going to bring excitement or action. It brought the energy down, but it didn't rob from what was a really interesting night that is now going to spurn many a convo, Dan, as to who is the man at 54. You could make a couple cases now. Yeah, you can make a case for, you know, Lara obviously has been the has the most defenses. I think that was his 12th defense or could be, yeah, 12th defense of his uh, title. Uh, Jared Hurd looked really good in that fight. And, of course, Jamel Charlo. I mean, this guy is, both Charlo brothers are knocking everyone out. Uh, talk about a little bit about Jamel Charlo versus uh, Erickson Lubin. That fight landed, lasted one round, and boy, was it epic. Look, that was a, uh, probably the best fight on paper. You know, maybe I thought that there was going to be some real chess match elements in her trout, and we ended up seeing that. But in terms of Lubin Charlo, the real question was, is this too much too soon for Erickson, just 22 years old, right? Turned pro four years ago. I predicted he would lose by knockout. I thought it was too much too soon. I never thought it would be this quick, right? Just a little over two minutes into the fight. And the story quickly became, these Charlos, you know, Jamal and Jermel, they're not just good, Dan. They may be really good. They may be trending toward great, you know, pound-for-pound-level elite when it's all said and done because everyone they put in front of them, especially in recent history, those guys are getting knocked down and knocked out. And Jermel is a great example where we thought he was the slicker of the twins. We thought he was the pure boxer. He had a couple wins early in that run where, I don't want to say he stunk it out, but he was more willing to box from the outside, use his speed, and get to the finish line of fights. Well, we've seen a different guy under trainer Derek James, and Saturday was a perfect example of that. The explosiveness, the speed, and really the attitude. Dan, if you take one thing away from this performance and the post-fight interview afterwards, and you sort of add that to what we've seen in recent months and years, is these Charles have an edge. They have an attitude, right? It's not just hashtag lions only for fun. Yeah. Like, they're coming in there to take your soul. And I love that. I love what we're seeing and whether it's Jermel at 55 or Jermall now at middleweight, like, you can't say outright, obviously we don't know, but you can't say that these guys won't be number one when all is said and done because they continue to trend in the right direction and get better. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. They're very exciting, and they have a mean streak in them that could work in their favor. Uh, two other fighters that were in attendance on Saturday night at the Barclays Center were Errol Spence and Keith Thurman, uh, they are trending towards a fight. They can't avoid each other at this point, I think. When does that fight happen, in your opinion, Brian? Well, you hope that that would be, if you're Al Heyman and the PBC and, and your partner at Showtime, CBS, you hope that that's the, the big one for 2018, right? Like, that's, you know, Thurman's still coming off that elbow injury, which you talked about on the Showtime broadcast. He wants a softer touch in February, but then he wants to come back and get right into it. That's your welterweight Super Bowl card next year in the same way that Thurman Porter was just a couple of years ago and that Thurman Garcia was on paper supposed to be in March earlier this year. I had a little issue, though, Dan, with Keith Thurman's comments, and he wasn't really to bite, ready to bite down on Brian Custer's offer of, you know, do you want Spence? 
Do you want it next year? What's going to hold this matchup back? Whereas Spence has been calling for that fight since the very beginning when we first heard his name. You see Keith playing the A-side card a little bit, saying you're going to have to still come to me. You hope that's just business-related, right? Like there's nothing yeah. more to that because that is the fight in boxing's true money division to find out who's next. Like, we've been waiting. We love Manny. We love Floyd, right, Dan? Yeah. But we've been waiting for them to go, at least a lot of us, because we want to see who really has next. Who is going to step up in line and take take that mantle and put on the, the, the green jacket or whatever, you know, whatever alliteration you want to make there and just say, I'm the guy. This is the fight to give you that. I say we do see it in 2018. I think Keith Thurman's going to try to get the money that he thinks he deserves because Spence is coming to him. But talk about three belts on the line and boxing's best division. That's got to make your mouth water. I mean, that's good stuff right there. That's a great fight, and Keith Thurman's coming on the show uh, after this, and I will have to ask him about his comments, and maybe he'll get to clear the air a little bit better. I know that a lot of the Twitter people, uh, I know you don't, that doesn't matter, but a lot of the Twitter people were saying that I wasn't happy with those comments. But we'll get to Keith Thurman later on in the program. But right now we're talking to CBS Sports' Brian Campbell. Another fight that we know that is made. That is uh, Ring of the Now, Lomachenko. Some people like it, some people don't like it. Where do you stand, Brian Campbell, on this uh, matchup between two Olympians? Well, as I'm sitting here in my office looking at my Donaire Rigando poster from April 2013. Oh, great one. I love this fight. I'm a big Rigo guy in terms of just appreciating his artistry and wanting to see him finally match against the best. And look, some of his issues business-wise have been his fault. Certainly his ability to not try to entertain, which is something we saw Arislandi Lara get criticized for rightfully on Saturday. That's Rigo's fault. But to me, this is like a, a Super Bowl for the hardcore fan. I mean, this fight fires me up, Dan. And I know Rigo's got to come up two weight classes, so there's, there might be a certain asterisk that comes with that. He's a guy who's always said, I'm more comfortable at 118 than I even am at 122 where I have a belt. Well, now i got to come up to 130. I call that daring to be great, you know? Like, that's what I'm all about. That's what Lomachenko's all about. I love that Rigondeaux is realizing, this is my money fight. It's going to be on ESPN right after the Heisman Trophy presentation. Like, this is my chance to beat the guy that you say is the next big thing in the sport. So you got to love that. And then the fans backing it up by selling out the fight two months in advance. And as much as we love Lomachenko, he's not really moving product yet. He's not a guy who's going to bring you giant television ratings or, or a giant gate. So to see the hardcore fans come out in mass and say, not only is this fight going to be great, but I want to be there. I want to be ringside with the Canobios. I want to be punching. Put me on the ones and twos. Let me hit the buttons for you and count punches. People want to see this fight, Dan, and you know that's firing me up. This is chess, you know, chess at its finest. No, you're absolutely right. That's, I mean... Fan, I could, I'm actually really shocked by the, the, the fan response to it. You talk about that it's sold out. You know, Bob Arum says it's the second best ticket in town next to Bette Miller's Hello, Dolly. Uh, great line from uh, Bob Arum. But we're talking about big fights here, and the overall 2017 has been unbelievable. Talk about uh, the health of the sport moving forward into 2018. Do you think that some of these promotional beefs are starting to uh, go away. Do you think there's going to be another big year for boxing in 2018? You know, I'd love to say, of course, I'd love to say that there's a thing called momentum in boxing, but Dan, look, you know, I'm a boxing fan. I'm in the industry. I see how the sausage gets made, and do you know what I've seen this decade? I've seen the every other year phenomenon, because like, you remember 2013? That was like the best year we'd seen in 20 years. <laughs> 2014? That stunk. So they've, they've really been on a run here. I mean, 2015 was great. We got Maypack. We got some great fights. 
Last year was a debacle. I think sometimes in boxing, uh, the segregation forces people's hands. I think this year you saw that. A lot of networks, a lot of promoters were like, all right, we got to go back to making good matchups. We got to go back to making money. And I think that they brought the good fights to the massive. Things like top rank moving to ESPN, great for boxing, great for fans, great for exposure. Is the landscape set up? For 2018 to be the same? Of course it is, Dan. But it was also set up coming off of that great 2013 I mentioned. You remember when HBO and Showtime were competing against yes. each other? When Floyd crossed the street and brought all the fighters with him? We didn't see a good 2014. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, hold my breath there and take a step back and just say, I've been here before, but hey, boxing, like get your ducks in a row. You got an opening here. We love MMA and UFC, but this has been a bad year for the UFC financially, and boxing's filled some of those holes there, right? This would be the time to keep that momentum going, and you know it's a simple equation, Dan. When the best fight the best, then the fights are entertaining, new fans get made, and old fans, those last guys, the guys that used to love boxing, they start coming back, they start selling their friends. It's not a difficult formula. It's just boxing, right? There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody wants to to, to be rich and you know I, I hope I hope we're on pace for another good one because there's no reason not to no I totally agree I mean uh, let's hope that trend stops of every other year uh, but one fight we do also that's that we know that's happening Anthony Joshua back into the ring in two weeks from now uh, what do you see from Joshua I know he's on a crash course with Deontay Wilder uh, talk a little bit about the big heavyweight over there across the pond I mean, this guy, you want to talk about marketing, right? Like like the, the marketing base of having such a, a good-looking guy, a guy who looks like he should be playing linebacker in the NFL, who can talk, who's a mix of human. You know, he's humble, but he also can talk some trash. He is already a massive star across the pond, making millions upon millions. This is the guy that, you know, we don't know if he is the guy, right? We're still going to hope to see him against Deontay Wilder one day and, and everybody else. But this is the guy you want to build it around. And the one element that he has, Dan, that's better than everything else I just said, and I think you obviously saw that in the Klitschko fight, is he's not perfect, right? Like, in his biggest fight of his career, he hit the deck. He looked like he was done for a quick second there against Klitschko, yet he righted the ship and found a way to win. And what comes within that is a certain level of vulnerability that fans can really relate to. And it's something that, you know, Floyd how financially successful his run has been atop the sport the last decade there's you can't relate to floyd right like there's this guy's a, on another level you just hope you know you sometimes you're paying money to hope somebody can give him a good fight i think with joshua being on top this is the kind of heavyweight division you want if you want to see the sport get a get a needle on the right arm and get get a boost because this is a guy who's going to be in big fights he wants to face everybody and he may have to get off the canvas to beat some of these guys and, you know, I like this Kubrat Pulev mandatory because if you remember Pulev, he's the guy that really pushed it against Klitschko and kind of forced Vladimir to give what a lot of people think still to this day is Vladimir's best performance in a win, right, when he when he knocked him out oh, yeah. a few years ago and Pulev just kept coming forward. I think he's going to provide that same blueprint. We're going we're gonna to see the best of Joshua here under pressure. You know, maybe he'll get another spectacular knockout, but this is the right fight. It's a mandatory. We've seen a lot worse mandatories. You just hope, Dan, that we're building for Joshua Wilder in 2018. Both fighters want it. We yeah. want it. Yeah. The fans do, the promoters do. 
I know we had Wilder on our first show, and he was he was all for it. And you bring up good points there with Joshua, very charismatic. I saw him on the James Corden show. The dude is just great, a great smile. And uh, you're, you're right. Make also another good point you make is he does get not he fell on the canvas to Klitschko. He got back up. Fans can identify with that. Before we let you go, Brian, I have one like probably the most important question is: What do you think James Bag Jr. is doing right at this moment? Another set of Twitter jokes that will just be regurgitated and regurgitated ad nauseum. But each time that guy drops something hot, I'm right there laughing with him. That guy is a boxing Twitter wizard. He's he's a part troll, but I think he's more of a trendsetter for the future of where watching boxing will go. Because look, Dan, you know what it's like growing up. Not a lot of boxing fans around you, depending on where you live, right? Right, Especially if you're out. You know, in the suburbs, a lot of baseball fans out in the Northeast, not a lot of boxing fans. You watch it on Twitter, it's like watching with a whole new group of best friends. And James Bag Jr., he's like the, the ringleader of that group. So, come on, he's he's concocting a new plan of memes to, to get you and me to pop. You know that. Hopefully, I don't show up in any of them. I probably shouldn't even brought him up. It's like, could be career suicide to bring up James Bag and Twitter. But, uh, well, if you don't yeah, follow... Yeah, the bag, because you know what happens if you tease the bag, Dan. You get the mess. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, man, James Bag. If you don't follow him, you should. Uh, well, we we're actually going to give him a pop here. But, uh, Brian, I appreciate you coming on the show. You can go back to combing your hair and uh, writing your stories. We appreciate you coming on Inside Boxing Life. Oh, this has been great. Good luck to you on the show. Everybody out there, keep watching this. This is good stuff. I appreciate it, Brian. Talk to you soon. Take care. It's Brian Campbell, a uh, great guy. He writes for CBS, does a great job. He doesn't only write about boxing. He writes about WWE. Writes about UFC. The guy's a very busy man. Uh, met him out at Mayweather Pacquiao, 2015, and I heard a lot about him. I heard he was like a fun-loving dude and uh, always up for a good time. And we were out over at the bar at the MGM, and the dude's electric. He's full of energy all the time. Like that interview right there is is what Brian Campbell is, and I appreciate him coming on the show to give his thoughts. He had some. Uh, some very good opinions. I mean, we want to stop this whole every other year boxing on and off, on and off. 2016, not a good year for boxing. 2017, excellent year. So we also, we already have two fights that are going to be made for 2017. And that's Errol Spence going up against Lamont Peterson right in January, right off the bat. And that's the thing I like about boxing is when you know it's going to be a good year, just give us a good fight in January to start the year off strong. You know, there's usually a break around Christmas time, not this year. So that the momentum is there. We have that fight. We also have uh, Maris Santa Cruz. You know, I didn't touch on that in the open. They also fight, fought on Saturday night on Fox. They didn't fight each other. <laughs> they fought two, uh, two tune-up fights, and uh, they both look good, so they'll be fighting uh, in uh, 2018. But it's time for a new segment on Inside Boxing Live right now. It's, it's the hype train. And uh, this could be anything that I am excited about, anything that I'm hyped up about. It could be a fighter, it could be a fight, it could be a ring girl, it could be anything. It's uh, it's the hype train. And uh, this hype train, of course, is uh, Rigo Lomachenko. Brian Campbell just got me super pumped up for it. Um, it's sold out two months before the fight is even made. Sold out at the theater at MSG, not the big room. I think Top Rank kind of underestimated what they had here. Because when the best fight the best, as Brian Campbell alluded to, fans show up. They respond. So I think Top Rank probably could have had this fight at the big room, maybe just the lower bowl. Maybe got 10, 12,000. 
Is that pushing it? Maybe not, but I know that that the the theater holds around I'm gonna say 7,500. So there will be they're gonna be loud. I mean, there's gonna be Cuban fans, there's gonna be Ukrainian fans, there's gonna be boxing fans. I mean, you had Bob Arum uh, say that this is the Big Apple's second hottest ticket on the secondary market, next to Bette Midler's Broadway smash, Hello Dolly. <laughs> that is such a Bob Arum quote right there. And it just shows you that, yeah, the fans are responding to it. It's up there with Broadway. You know, should Bette Midler get taken out in a, a softball game and get replaced? And then it might be the number one uh, selling thing. Seinfeld reference for all you out there. Uh, so that is going to be a great fight. It's the first fight ever. Between two, two-time Olympians. Not just two guys that have won gold or silver fighting each other. These guys won gold twice. Two different Olympics. They're the best Olympians of all time. You can make a case for Rigondeau and Lomachenko, and they're going to be fighting as professionals at the Garden, December 9th. Also on December 9th. This is another theme in 2017 is where there's just a flurry of fights that's so hard to keep track of. Salito Burchell on HBO <laughs> going to be competing with Lomachenko Ringadenau on ESPN. So you got the Heisman uh, Award ceremony leading into Lomachenko versus Ringadenau, which should give that a huge boost. So I'm expecting big-time numbers coming out of that fight. We're waiting for Keith Thurman to be joining the program next. I, I'm looking forward to this interview with Keith Thurman. I mean, the guy is like one of the best interviews in the sport. He can talk. He can pontificate. He can... He's just a very interesting mind. And you saw him at the Barclays Center on Saturday night. He was sitting next to Errol Spence, spending a lot of time next to Errol Spence, sizing him up. And I want to ask him, what is that like? Is that awkward? Like... When Errol Spence takes a swig of his drink, do you take two swigs? You know, like when you go up to get something, do you, you know, what do you do? Like, it, I'm just very curious about spending that much time with a, a fighter. And I'm very, something about Showtime that I like that they do is they build up fights. They know how to build up fights. They bring all the fighters in for these fights at the Barclays Center and wherever they should be. Deontay Wilder was also in attendance. Big fight with Bermain Stavern coming up. But they were all there, all sitting next to each other, press conferences before the fight. Interviews on the telecast with Brian Custer, which became uh, newsworthy from this fight on Saturday night, was did Keith Thurman kind of tiptoe around the question when he was asked by Brian Custer whether he wants to fight with Spence? He said, you know what, I I'm the champ, you know, that, that we called him a boy. That boy over there, I remember seeing him a few years ago, I told him, I want to fight you. But, you know, he just acquired his first belt, I have too. And then he said something that was very interesting that I have to ask Keith about. Saying that he's he saying that Errol Spence might be the hungrier fighter. I never heard a fighter, you know, give that up. Is he playing psychological games? Because if someone can play psychological games, it's Keith. It's Keith one time Thurman. But it was a great night of fights at the Barclays Center. It's the top story here on Inside Boxing Live. It was just a triple header of two of the three fights delivered. Uh, you had Austin Trout and Jarrett Hurd leading off the night. Uh, a great fight between uh, two fighters. One on the tail end of his career in Austin Trout, 32 years old. Long amateur career. Olympic, uh, he was a runner-up or Olympic uh, side option there. And he put on a show the first four rounds. I mean, he was sticking. He was, it was like vintage Austin Trout 
when he beat Mikel Cota. Trout looked amazing. He was hitting him with, with power shots. He was jabbing to the body, doubling up his jab, moving, sticking, moving. And I'm thinking in my head, like, eventually he's going to run out of steam here. I thought that Jared Hurd was going to weather the storm. He is not the most defensive fighter, uh, Jared Hurd. And he did. He came on late. He got the KO in 10. About from the fifth round on, Hurd started to found, he found a home for that right. And it was all he was throwing, really. He was throwing just one right hand after the next. And he had a huge mouse under the eye of Austin Trout. He couldn't see. You know, the, the last two or three rounds, Austin Trout fought on straight guts. Couldn't see anything. He was, you know, he's not a toe-to-toe type of fighter. And there he was, trading with a young lion, or the steal from Jamel Charlo, and Jarrett Hurd. So that was an outstanding fight to start off the card. Then you moved into Erickson Lubin versus uh, Jamel Charlo. Unbelievable build-up for this fight. First-round knockout. And not just any old knockout. Devastating knockout where Erickson Lubin hit the ground, could not find his bearings. You know, he said after the fight that I could have, you know, I could have continued on. I don't know. I think these fighters say that a lot. I don't, you know, they're... A lot of times they're not even have their wits about him when they do that interview with Jim Gray or uh, Max Kellerman. You know, he's 22 years old. I mean, dare to be great. That's what Brian Campbell said. That's what Rigondeaux is doing. He's moving up two weight classes, daring to be great. Erickson Lubin dared to be great. You can't knock a young fighter for taking a fight like that. But you have to think that, you know, like who's exactly managing him? I know he's signed, Erickson Lubin signed with Lil Wayne, Young Money Sports, before the fight. Yikes. I mean, uh, is little. I don't think Lil Wayne is is telling him what to do. But uh, I want to see Erickson Lubin back. It was a it was a knockout. It came in the first round. He can recover from this. He's only 22 years old. 2016 prospect of the year. So you you gotta respect a guy that's willing to get in there with a, a guy as dangerous as uh, Jamel Charlo. So hats off to both those fighters. Want to see Charlo get in the ring again with Jared Hurd. I want to see that fight over a Charlo Lara fight. You know, if we get Charlo Lara. I do think it will be a compelling fight because I think that when uh, Arizona Lara is in the ring with a puncher, with an aggressive fighter, the best comes out of him. Um, the la- final fight of the night at the triple header at Showtime, not the best fight. It was, uh, oh man, it was a stinker. It was a boring fight. You know, it, it, if you don't really love the sweet science, and it wasn't even like the sweet science was totally on display because I thought that Lara looked a, a little old. He looked his age, 34 years old, fighting out of Cuba. He uh, had his moments. He knocked down Gaucher early. Gaucher didn't land more than 10 punches in any round. The, the story of this fight was the fans. It was the fans booing. It was the fans chanting, this is boring. It was the fans counting down the seconds. They were counting down the seconds in the round I've never heard that before you know I was in the elevator after the fight with ESPN's Dan Raphael and he said that it reminded him of Mayweather Carlos Baldemir a fight that Mayweather had could have fought with one hand tied behind his back and towards the end when he was toying with Baldemir en route to a large lopsided decision fans started to leave the uh, the arena (laughs) that's what we saw here it wasn't that type of fight it wasn't featuring a fight with the best pound for pound fighter in the world you know, so I know that Showtime is wants to keep showcasing this division, the 154-pound division. It's going to be hard when Arizona Larry is not putting butts in the seats. Didn't have a lot of fans in the crowd. 
Um, I know a lot of people probably tuned out. I mean, it was weird because the Showtime commentators, it was almost like they were – you never watch a, a basketball game or a football game where it's its like a blowout. They have garbage time where they just kind of talk about anything. It was like that during the telecast. You know, Moro and Al had to almost keep themselves busy by making, you know, pop culture references and, and talking about Al's Cubs. And it was just uh, – it was an unfortunate way to end the night. And uh, it was just too bad that the fight had the the night had to end on on that note, because it was a great it was a great card, absolutely great card. Uh, here on Inside Boxing Live, don't forget, you can also tweet us using the hashtag IBL at CompuBox. Tweet us your thoughts, tweet us questions, tweet us anything. You got questions for Keith Thurman? He's coming on the show next. We're waiting for him to call in. Tweet us your questions. Tweet us your thoughts on the show. Tweet us what you think about this beautiful set that we have built here. Uh, because, as you know, Inside Boxing Live is the show for the fans. We want to make this the show that the fans tune into. We want to bring you the best fighters, the biggest names. That's what we want to do here, Inside Boxing Live. In addition to uh, the fights there on Saturday night, we also have to look forward to some of the fights that are coming up on the schedule. I mean, there are some huge fights here in 2017. It was a front-loaded year. A lot of big fights in the first half of the second uh, and third quarter. Fourth quarter's looking strong. Of course, highlighted by you know, Rigondeaux and Lomachenko. You got Wilder-Stavern. Not the fight we wanted. We wanted Wilder-Ortiz. Uh, we all know what happened with that. We had Lou DiBello on the show last time. He was finalizing it out. But we got a heavyweight matchup. Brooklyn-New York. First fight wasn't a terrible fight. I mean, Stavern didn't do anything to deserve a rematch. I mean, that's a whole other story for itself, those WBC rankings. But the first fight, I mean, they were throwing leather. They were exchanging. You know, Deontay Wilder is going to put on a statement. It's one thing we know about Deontay Wilder and with all that's happened here with this, with the, with the drug tests, the falling out of the drug tests, and everything that happened with that. Deontay Wilder wants to win this fight. He wants to put on a performance now. He's going to come out blazing. I wouldn't be surprised if we see an early stoppage here at the Barclays Center on November 4th. Take a look at the punch stats from their first fight. I mean, Deontay Wilder landed 227 punches. I mean, he landed his jab. He landed his power. He held Stavern in check. Kept him to 33%. I mean, it was it was a great performance from Deontay Wilder, and I'm expecting him to do the same November 4th. Also on that card, Showtime, Sean Porter will be fighting on that card as well. So, I mean, it's stacked. In addition to that, we have uh, Miguel Cotto getting into the ring at MSG for his final fight. I mean, it's not the best fight versus Saddam Ali. No one really wanted that fight. You know, Mikey Garcia turned down the fight. We'll get to that in, our, in one of our upcoming segments. That fight is a fight that, you know, fans can tune in just to see Cotto one last time, appreciate what he's done for the sport of boxing. Danny Jacobs makes his return on HBO. That's going to be great to see because Danny Jacobs is a fighter in the 160-pound division that a lot of fighters, a lot of fans want to see. They want to see him fight. They want to see Danny Jacobs get in the ring with Canelo. They want to see him maybe potentially get into the ring with Triple G. You know, David Lemieux is in the 160-pound division. So a lot of big fights for Danny Jacobs. He fights on, on HBO from the Nassau Coliseum against Luis Arias. And they had a very interesting press conference. They were chirping at each other trying to hype up that fight. Also, we have the return of Sergey Kovalov. Uh, I think Sergey Kovalov's in a tough spot right now. I mean, he doesn't exactly sell a lot of tickets. The fight is in New York City, November 25th, Thanksgiving weekend. I mean, the, the thing 
that with all these fights is there's going to I think that six of the next seven weeks there are fights in the New York City area and if you're a, a you know if you're a fan it's like which one do you choose to go to obviously Rigo Rigo Lomachenko sold out you know six of the seven weeks are you, you going to go to all those fights so I think that you know Kovalov is, is, in, a, is in a tricky spot between ticket sales and in terms of his performance I mean he he you know, some people thought he quit in that last fight with Andre Ward. I mean, it's up for interpretation, but we'll see what uh, Andre, we'll see what uh, Kovalev has in his fight coming up there, November twenty fifth. Big show here, Inside Boxing Live. Waiting for the phone call from Keith One Time Thurman. I know you had a doctor's appointment. He's working on that elbow, trying to get back and healthy. Waiting for Keith Thurman to call into the show. Let's move forward, Nick, our super producer here. Let's go to uh, our our uh, our segment here. In case you missed it, here we go. In case you missed it, it's a new segment that we're wheeling out here on the program, where it's a bunch of things that happened in in the sport since the last time we were on the air. And uh, David Lemieux, we're just talking about David Lemieux. David Lemieux, B.J. Saunders, ordered by the WBC. We sent out an email to Peter Nelson, head of uh, HBO Sports. He said that nothing is exactly imminent uh, for Saunders and Lemieux uh, for December 16th. That's a tough fight to make in so little time. I like the fight. I mean, uh, it sticks with the theme of 2017, best versus best, or not best versus best, but, you know, mandatories and and that type of, of theme. So I like it. Lemieux Saunders, get in the ring. And I wouldn't mind, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind seeing uh, BJ Saunders in there with a big puncher could potentially get flattened by uh, David Lemieux, who's a KO artist. Like that fight. Moving on with the case you missed it, the Contender Series. Remember on ESPN, they wheeled that out a few years back. It was highly popular. Produced some champions. It could be back on Epics. That shows to me that boxing's hot right now. I mean, the reality shows are getting into boxing again. You know, their networks clamoring for this type of programming shows me that boxing is back. And so I wouldn't mind seeing the Contender Series show up on Epics. In case you missed it, Robert Garcia said he wants to train Chocolatito. See, the thing with, with this is Chocolatito didn't look like he had the, the, uh, the desire. You know, Andre Ward said that he retired because he just didn't have the desire. His body couldn't put up with it anymore. Chocolatito's been in so many wars, so many grueling fights, and you could see when he entered the ring versus uh, Rungvisai. Got that one right. When he got into the ring with Rungvisai, he he just didn't have the body language, and he ended up getting flattened and brutal knockout. So will Robert Garcia, you know, kind of light a fire under him? Maybe, but I just think, you know, to me, this looks like putting a band-aid on a massive cut. I would like Chocolatito to maybe just you know kind of retire into the sunset as a great champion on his way to Canastota as as a Hall of Famer, you know maybe stepping back in there not the best thing, you know. So uh, moving on with in case you missed it, Jeff Horn. Oh man, Jeff Horn uh, apparently wants a fight with McGregor and Mayweather. Yeah, me too, Jeff. I I, I want to make those those types of paydays. This to me looks like a fighter that's on borrowed time. A fighter that, you know, lost to Pacquiao. And now he wants to just kind of, you know, ride that next 15 minutes of fame. And he wants to, uh, you know, parlay that into a big fight. Jeff Horn is not fighting Mayweather. Jeff Horn is not fighting Conor McGregor. 
Like this is the thing with the, these types of fighters where they get a gift decision, and they make these inflated like shoutouts, these inflated like statements that just anger the fans. Yeah, I bet you Australia, these Australian fans who who would love him to pretty much see him do anything, probably think he has a, a chance with McGregor or Mayweather. They like it, but here in America and North North America, can't fool the boxing fans. Can't fool them. So Jeff Horn needs to kind of relax and maybe. Call out fighters in this division. Like maybe like a Terence Crawford would be a good fight. 147. Two big, tall fighters. Uh, rangy. That's more realistic than uh, Jeff Horn versus McGregor or Mayweather. That's ridiculous. In case you missed it, Creed 2. Looks like uh, Sly Stallone is on board for Creed 2. When I first heard this news, I didn't know what to think of it because I don't think uh, the reason why Creed, the original Creed, was such a good show, it was such a good movie was because uh, Ryan Coogler was the director. I know that uh, if you check Twitter today, Ryan Coogler uh, is directing Black Panther, or, or and that can't, oh, Green Panther. Black or Green Panther? One of the Panthers. He's, uh, he's directing it, and it's, and that's why he couldn't do Creed 2. He could have done it if they waited, and they, they wanna, they've already waited two years to make this, this uh, remix of it, or the, the second edition of it. But when Sly Stallone, when I heard Sly Stallone was on board, uh, I mean, he's a great director, obviously. I mean, the guy's an icon. But Ryan Coogler did such an amazing job with Creed 2. I mean, with Creed, the original Creed. That was like one of the top boxing movies, I think. You know, it's it, for me, it's, it's... See, I'm a little more new school. You know, I like Raging Bull, but it, it's not exactly, you know, a fight that I love. A movie that I love. I like my, in my boxing movies, it goes The Fighter. And then Creed. I also watched I watched Bleed for this the other night with uh, the Vinny Pazienza story. Give it four out of ten, four out of ten stars from uh, Dan Canobio's official movie boxing movie ratings. I I know our friend here, Copybox Lee Groves. He was on 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 Facebook talking about that he watched it too. All the inaccuracies. I mean, you're not going to get anything past Lee Groves. I mean, it's tough. That he didn't like the fact that uh, Pazienza's comeback fight w- was against Duran. Wasn't his com- It wasn't the first fight he took. It was seven, it came seven fights after his neck injury. He fought Duran. Not one fight after, and his knockout to to win the title didn't come in the first round. Came in the sixth round. So you know, there's a lot of things in, in boxing movies that you know they try to stretch the truth. And I, and I know that another boxing movie with with, with Gyllenhaal and Fifty Cent. That movie I mean, well, it wasn't based on a true story, but there was so many little inaccuracies that I know the boxing fans picked up. Like it was a it was a fight on um, his Jonal's character was a, was on fighting on HBO, but they had Jimmy Lennon as the ring announcer. Everyone knows that Jimmy Lennon's the Showtime ring announcer. It's little things like that. I mean, I, that's why I thought the fighter was the most accurate portrayal of a real life boxer, Mickey Ward. They had they had the graphics from the old you know the the HBO Boxing After Dark graphics. They had everything down to a T there. That movie was phenomenal. Still waiting for our man. Keith one-time Thurman. Uh, I know he's at the doctor's office. Do we have any information on him? We uh, would like to get Keith on the program. Move forward here. Another segment we got here. I'm very excited about this one. We talked about Jeff Horn coming out and calling out calling out uh, Floyd Mayweather, calling out uh, McGregor. And a lot of times these guys do this on Twitter. They do it on Twitter. And, we, and, and uh, that's the thing about boxing is that it's not a team sport. It's an individual sport. You have to promote yourself. You have to hype yourself up. That means you get on Twitter. 
So here's our seven Twitter hitters. It's uh, illustrating the tweets of some prominent fighters. I mean, these guys have a lot of time on their hands, and they take it to Twitter. Our first tweet comes to us from Tyson Fury. Remember him? Tyson Fury says, be ready to fight in April 2018 in a great fight, and again in the summer in a mega fight, and again back at the end of the year. Three big fights in 2018. So Tyson Fury was feeling good when he woke up that morning and decided to uh, fire up his uh, laptop and type that in. I mean, I hope so. I don't want to sit here and make fun of a guy or, or, or get on a guy who obviously had some you know, personal issues. I would like to see Tyson Fury get back in the ring. You know, he wants to fight Anthony Joshua. There was a time when that fight was inevitable, when Tyson Fury was the, was the champ, beating uh, Vladimir Klitschko. But that's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I like it. I like it, but I also, you know, you're going to have to take it with a grain of salt. Moving forward, Twitter hitters, we got uh, Anthony Joshua. Stay in the heavyweight division. So Anthony Joshua said, was probably asked this question from a reporter about Deontay Wilder. And Joshua said, soon I'll be ramming my jab down Deontay Wilder's throat. And that's when Deontay Wilder responded and said, bro, what the F? You're going to soon be ramming your jab down my throat? To be honest, that doesn't sound too good. And uh, yeah, that doesn't, not the best terminology there. I don't think Anthony Joshua meant anything by it, but that, that got you laughing. But that's a fight that's going to be made. I mean, hopefully 2018, second half of 2018, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. Think about the buildup for that fight. Think about, you know, you have the personality of Deontay Wilder. You follow him on Twitter. The dude is always, you know, tweeting something, always got the, the camera on him. Then Anthony Joshua, as Brian Campbell alluded to, one of the most charismatic you know, big-time fighters you can have right now, a guy that I think is going to be the face of the sport for the next 10 years. So I'm looking forward to that one. Moving forward, Twitter hitters. Mikey Garcia got on Twitter. If you don't follow Mikey Garcia, you should. He's not the most punctual tweeter. So this tweet right here, so fight only came by signing to Golden Boy, GB. Not bad, but I'm doing better on my own. Of course, he was talking about the fight with Miguel Cotto. He called out Cotto numerous times. Uh, and people were like, oh, man, you're a little too small to fight Cotto. But apparently, Golden Boy listened, and they offered him, which a lot of promotion companies do. They said, yeah, you can fight Miguel Cotto, but you have to stay on and sign for Golden Boy for two more fights or three more fights. And that's when Mikey Garcia took it to Twitter and said, you know, this is what's going on. There's nothing better than when a fighter or an athlete speaks for themselves. Because a lot of times they think the media, you know, takes their words and, and spins them around. That's the thing about Mikey Garcia. He's his own agent now. He's a free agent. He's negotiating. He's not signed to any promotional company. He's not affiliated with any network. He's on HBO. He can fight on Showtime. So therefore, you know what? He's going to take it to Twitter and talk to the fans himself. It was an exchange between him and Steve Kim. And uh, Mikey Garcia said, yeah, I was offered the fight, but I don't want to sign a golden boy. It's his right. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, it's a gift and a curse being a free agent in boxing. You can negotiate you know, your your fight that you want. You can sit out a fight. You can you don't have to be, you know, locked down to a specific network. But for this one, I would have liked to have seen Mikey Garcia versus Miguel Cotto. So much more compelling than Saddam Ali versus Miguel Cotto. I mean, it would have been intriguing. It would have been, you know, a guy going up in weight, one of the best fighters pound for pound in the game right now. It's an old legend. Get the whole Mexican, Puerto Rico. It would have been phenomenal. But you know what? You know, he didn't want it. Uh, Mikey Garcia, he did want to fight, but he didn't want to uh, sign on with Golden Boy. Can't knock him there. Twitter hitters, moving forward. 
Guillermo Rigondeau. You gotta follow Rigondeau on Twitter. The dude. I don't know if he's running the Twitter. I don't know if he's running it because he tweets a lot, like how he would speak. Same thing with Golovkin. I don't think Golovkin's running his Twitter because it's like it's almost like a, a, a caricature of himself. Like Golovkin will tweet like. I want a good fight. Like, I want a big drama show. Like, that's how he tweets. So it's almost like, you know, he wouldn't tweet like that. But Rigondeau was responding to a tweet from the World Boxing Super Series who are doing a phenomenal job with their tournament. It's just been a great showing. Every country they go to sold out. But they tweet, rarely seen footage and audio from inside the ring at the Chris Eubanks triumph. Chris Eubank, of course, two weeks ago with Big KO. That's when Rigondeau responded to it. He said, love what the World Boxing Super Series is doing. I think this is the way of the future. The best versus the best. Sign me up next year. That's, like, really uh, interesting right there. Because if the World Boxing Super Series, obviously they're not going away. I mean, they're getting big ratings. They're getting big uh, attendance. There's a huge response from fans, media alike, for this uh, tournament. So should they decide to add more weight classes for 2018 maybe they'll do a round robin at 130 and the thing with Rigondeau now he's he's not same thing with Garcia not signed to a specific uh, promotional company so he could maybe join the World Boxing Super Series and and we'll find out who's the best at any at the weight anywhere between 122 130 our final Twitter hitter is of course the uh, undisputed king of talking trash on Twitter Paulie Malinaji I mean, we can make this whole segment about Paul. We can call this Paulie's Tweets, where we just sit there and go through his timeline. We can make a whole f- show about it. But, uh, of course, Paulie's banging the drum once again about uh, a fight with Conor McGregor. Can't let it go. I think it's taken over his, his soul. It's taken over his brain. It's all he talks about. So some guy on Twitter. Well, I think we got Keith Thurman. I think we got Keith Thurman, folks. Right now on Inside Boxing Live, joining us, the Unified... Welterweight champion of the world, Keith One Time Thurman. Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys today? I can't complain. Uh, talking to Keith One Time Thurman. I know uh, you you showed up at the Barclays Center back in the spotlight. You took some time off. You, you got married. Congratulations on that. And uh, you also had a, a little bit of a elbow surgery. How's the elbow healing? Uh, the elbow's coming along. The doctor definitely said it was going to be a, a slow turnaround. I was disappointed. I thought, you know, 28 years old, I should be able to bounce back. But uh, I listened to him. I gave it rest. And when he said six months no boxing, I just went off and uh, went overseas and got married to my new beautiful wife, man. So, um, you know, just trying to make the best of it. It's, it's never good when an athlete's pretty much sitting out, um, not being able to do their job, especially in their prime. But um, like I said, I, I traveled. Um, I got married. I'm just trying to make the best of it. We got a little bit more rehab to go, but uh, I've done one week of intensive rehab now that I'm back in the U.S., and we're getting really positive responses. I feel good. Um, I I believe I'll be back in the ring sometime next year, February, March. We're not going to rush it, and we're still going to go wrong. We're going to take it week by week as we're recovering right now. That's beautiful, Keith. Uh, Happy to hear that. We saw you on Saturday night at the Barclays Center. You were uh, spending a lot of time with uh, Errol Spence. Of course, you can't, uh, you know, can't get away from the Errol Spence. Is it is it strange, you know, spending an entire night with him? You had him sitting next to him. How was that? Were you sizing him up? No, man. You know, I've seen him around for a long time. You know, I've seen him around at fights and backstage at the 
Mayweather fights at the MGM. You know, I've seen him around for years. You know, um, you know he's he's a, he's a decent sized welterweight. I you know you you can see it in the Kell Brook fight because Kell Brook is a decent sized welterweight um, as well. You know, but um, at the end of the day, you know, being in the ring is is a unique thing, and I see myself as a very diverse fighter. I'm good at making game plans and changing my game plan. So, um, you know, I, I see him as a very competitive, um, well, a competitive fight. You know, he, he's an elite fighter. Um, but me and my team, we're confident the day that we're going to have to step in the ring and, and do our job because I know I'm different than anybody he's ever faced. You know, he can say the same thing, but, you know, that, that's boxing. A lot of people are picking sides right now in the welterweight division. Um, Spence Thurman and some people are now um, throwing in Crawford since he said he wants to move up to 147 so um, we're going to have to fight fight it out to become the, the king of the welterweight division the king is not going to uh, manifest overnight um, but currently I'm ranked number one um, because of um, holding two belts and uh, the opponents that I fought so you know I, I'm in a I'm very confident, you know. I don't really have to talk a lot of trash. I've been here for a long time. He just acquired his world title. You know, I feel good. I'm waiting to bounce back. When we bounce back, we're going to do it right. You know, we're not going to be challenging champions right away post-surgery. We're just going to get back in the ring, get moving, create some good fights, and then we're going to talk about unifying some more titles later on. Now, Keith, uh, you, you were up at the at the stand there with Brian Custer on the Showtime telecast, and you talked about, just like you said here, how uh, you're the A-side, you're the champion. And, you know, he, Custer asked you the question of would you want to fight an Errol Spence? And, you know, there's people on Twitter. I don't know if you even bother to check that stuff. But there are people insinuating that you kind of tiptoed around the question. Would you like to clear the air right now on whether you want to fight Errol Spence Jr.? The thing is, of course, we're going to fight, but we just can't fight right now. You know, people want to see the fight today. They want to see the fight tomorrow. The truth is that that's not going to manifest. The fact of the fight manifesting, that will occur. But today and tomorrow, the answer is no. You know, um, down the line, I see the fight happening. Like I said, we have to come back smart from this um, injury. We have to come back smart. We're going to get a stay-busy fight, pretty much a tune-up fight, a stay-busy fight post-surgery fight, a respectable fight, mm -hmm. but um, we're not going to be going up against the number one, number two, number three, number four type opposition. You know, we're going to be looking a little bit further down the line when we get back in the ring. So that's the only thing, you know, if I seem like I'm tiptoeing around, is because I can't promise anything today and tomorrow, but I'm not going to deny that I know the fans want it, and and it's a fight that I want as well. The um, the welterweight division. I got one belt. I got two belt. I, me and Spence, we have the same um, admiration. We want to go ahead and become the undisputed welterweight champions of the world. You know, um, that's something you haven't seen in the welterweight division for over a decade. It's something that Floyd never accomplished throughout his professional career, and it's something that I eagerly want to accomplish. And he's very adamant about it as well of being the undisputed. And there's no way of doing that except for coming and seeing me. So, of course, he's uh, very eager to talk about fighting Keith one time Thurman. 
Yeah, it's one thing that a lot of fans respect about you, that I respect about you, is that you will fight anyone. You've showed that in your your career. Another thing up at, during that interview that a lot of people found surprising was, I don't know if you were trying to get a psychological edge, was when you told him that, you know, Errol Spence, he might be the hungrier fighter right now. He might want it a little more than me. Was that, you know, something that you were doing to get a psychological edge? Talk a little bit about what was what, what, what went through your mind when you made that statement. Well, like I, like I said, he's injury-free, right? Yeah. He just got his first world title. Mm-hmm. He, he's he been trying to make a stand. You know, when I first got on HBO, my first HBO fight, I called out um, Paulie Milanaji, <laughs> Timothy Bradley, and Floyd Money Mayweather. Right. That was, that was my first televised fight on HBO. I was a 10-round fighter. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, so I called out everybody. You know, so I, I know what it feels like to be that guy who wants to be champion, who wants to be fighting the at the top I, I want to be at the top but the problem is now I'm at the top I'm at the top you know so now I'm look, we're looking down at, at all the challengers everybody who wants to challenge Keith one time Thurman um, but I'm coming off of an injury you know it's not it's not that I don't have confidence but I just have to accept my reality as mm-hmm. an athlete right you know that's, that's, that's the only thing that's going on in my mind is that if I was staying, if I could stay healthy throughout this year, one, I would have been more active, and two, we could have easily started negotiating that fight for earlier or mid um, next year. Beautiful. But that's not the life that I live right now. I'm coming off of a, a surgery, so in the back of my head, you know, right now I still can't throw a straight right hand, <laughs> and and everybody wants me to talk about fighting Errol Spence. I yeah. can't throw a straight right hand. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's just, I wanted you to, to come on here and, and just clarify it and, you know, settle it that, because I know that you want to fight everyone, and like you said, you're yeah, injured. Yeah, I'm out my truth. And right. My truth is, we're going to have to come back, and we're going to have to come back right, and when, when Keith Thurman get, gets back right, then you can throw out any challenger, and we can sign any contract. All right, I want to ask you, when you say that, I want to ask you about uh, Terrence Crawford. You brought him up earlier in this interview. He's a guy that's you know cleaned out the 140-pound division. He's moving up to 147. Hasn't had a fight yet in 147, but it's a fight that fans are salivating for is Keith Thurman versus Terrence Crawford. What could potentially stop that fight from happening? Well, I don't know. First off, let's just see what he does in the welterweight division. I know he wants to fight. Uh, champions, right. but um, he's better off going after um, the WBO title right now. You know, um, I don't think he's going to get Spence right away. I don't think he's going to get. I uh, know he's not going to get me right away. Nobody's getting me right away. Um, and then, you know, the only person he might be able to get is the Horn from overseas. If he if he's eager to grab a world title at his first welterweight um, matchup, you know. Because um, he seems adamant, he says he wants to go to the top of the ladder. He said he wanted to fight me. Um, but you know, besides Horn, there's a lot of competition in the welterweight division. I mean, I don't know what Amir Khan's really doing with his career right now, but I believe he belongs in the lower weight classes instead of the upper weight classes. Um, you know, you you got. The person I, I fought, Sean Porter, you got Danny Garcia, mm-hmm. um, even though they don't hold world titles right now. So I don't know exactly what Crawford wants to do, but he's, he's got um, some great opposition at 147. Um, and I believe the competition at 147 is far, is far superior to the competition he's had at 140. 
What do you, so, th- um, Keith? What do you think of Crawford? What do you think of Crawford as a fighter? Oh, very talented. He's always been talented uh, since the amateurs. You know, I mean, a lot of us were and still are. You know, um, I remember Crawford from the amateurs going through the uh, nationals and through the rankings and stuff. I believe he was competing at like 132, maybe a weight class below. But I, I think I remember seeing him at 132 when I was when we were younger. Um, but yeah, man, he's. His style nowadays, he's definitely um, more developed. I don't remember him being so agile when it comes to switching back and forth. Um, he might have had that trait, but I just I don't remember it being so um, um, predominant as it is today. So I think that might be something he's worked on with his craft and his team and throughout the years of uh, being a pro. Um, you know, he's got great height and reach mm-hmm. for a smaller guy, so it allows him it, it should allow him to move up um, a weight class and and be competitive and have a decent size to where he's not um, being bullied tremendously by the by the larger fighters. Even though some of us still um, will have bigger frames than Crawford, um, good hand speed. Um, like the way he puts his combinations together from time to time. You know, every fighter is subjectable to being hit. Um, but, you know, he dominated 140, and he deserves a lot of praise and respect for that. But we know that at the current moment, a lot of the competition, a lot of the um, people that were in 140 have already shifted to 147 um, two, three years ago. So that's why I say 147 is, is a steeper um, slope to climb when it comes to overall competition. I believe that he's going to have far more challenges at 147 than he did at 140. Keith, you're a, a great interview, and uh, you're a very sophisticated fighter. I've long respected that about you. Uh, before we let you go, while you were laid up, um, did you learn any new songs for your flute? Uh, no, you know, I um, I was trying to learn how to speak a new language. Wow, that was uh, challenging, and I wasn't really good. I don't, I didn't, uh, I didn't study that hard. But I was trying to pick up little things here and there. Um, you know, saying. I was, I was actually living with um, my wife's grandmother. Okay. So, um, you know, we, all the family stayed together. Where was and that? In the morning, I would try to have, you know, say good morning to her and and just have little basic conversations with her. And she'd speak very little English with me. So what, what language was that, nice. Keith? What language was that? Nepalese. Oh, Nepal. wow. Nepali is the language. Look at you. Maybe you'll fight over in Nepal when you defend your title. Well, I don't know. It's like almost 6,000 feet up. Uh, <laughs> it was a challenge just being out there for, for the first month and a half, but then I got used to it. Um, it might be a good place to train, but yeah. I don't know about uh, fighting-wise. <laughs> All right, Keith. I thank you for joining the show. appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And good luck with your recovery. hope everything heals up. We're excited to see you back in the ring in 2018. Thank you for all the love and support. You guys take care. All right. Keith, one time Thurman coming through, calling into the show. Uh, great interview. I mean, the guy can can talk. I mean, you don't have to worry about promoting Keith Thurman. A special thanks goes out to Tim Smith with the PBC. Uh, publicist got us uh, Keith after a little bit of phone issues, but we got Keith. Uh, and he was awesome. I mean, the big reason I wanted to get him on the show was because he went on Showtime 
And I think his words got misconstrued, and the fans, are, the boxing fans, are so quick to jump. You guys are so quick to jump down these fighters' throats, and and rightfully so. I mean, he did, you know, kind of. He didn't say outright, "I want, I'm going to fight him." Of course, he's going to fight him. He said it in his own words. Of course, I'm going to fight him. But right now, I'm injured. You know, I'm not going to, you know, rush my career at the age of 28. I'm going to take my time, heal up. You know, Spence is fighting in January. He'll be fighting in February. Um, Keith against a, a lower rated fighter a, a stay busy fight as he said and you know what they'll be in line perfectly to fight second half of 2018 so we already have so many things to look forward to in 2018 one of them is Keith Thurman versus Errol Spence Keith, if Keith Thurman has showed you one thing is that he's not afraid to get into the ring got into the ring with Sean Porter on CBS huge fight big action big ratings got into the fight with Danny Garcia very close fight I thought he won, uh, Keith Thurman. So the guy's not afraid to get in there with some of the biggest names, and that includes Terrence Bud Crawford. You know, it's it's exciting to hear these fighters talk about each other, and I think we're truly entering another golden age of boxing. There's so many good good talent, and these fights can be made. You know, Al Heyman is showing that he will listen to his fighters. He will let his fighters fight on HBO. He will, you know, go uh, the mandatories when they have to be signed. He won't get in the way of them. Really looking forward. Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, 2018. Special thanks uh, to Keith Thurman for coming on the show. Finally, to end out the program, it's the segment that I... It's probably my favorite segment out here on Inside Boxing Live. It's the good hook of the week. So much negativity in boxing. So much negativity in the world. But the good hook of the week is something that we found in boxing that is a great thing, a positive story. And it's Cheryl Morrison is our good hook of the week for Inside Boxing Live. Yeah, do you know who Cheryl Morrison is? No. But she is the mother of 154-pound prospect Chordell Booker, who's 9-0. He fought on Saturday night at the Barclays Center, got a unanimous decision. But Cheryl Morrison is the mother of Chordell Booker. And she wanted to know what it was like to walk in the shoes of her son. So what did she do? She put on the gloves and she fought in a sanctioned fight in Connecticut. She won the fight. She was trained by her son, Chordell, for, uh, I think, four weeks. He pretty much taught her everything from the basics. You know, jab, jab, hook. You know, how to move your feet, get in and out. And how great of a story is this? You know, they had a, a little bit of a rough upbringing. You know, Chardell was in, in, got himself into a little bit of trouble in Brooklyn. Comes out of uh, Bed-Stuy, home of uh, Mike Tyson, Zab Judah. Got into a little bit of trouble as a kid, in and out of jail, in and out of juvenile uh, detention centers. His mom, him and his mom didn't have the greatest of relationships growing up. A lot of tough love. And you know what they're doing now is they're, they're rekindling, they're fostering their relationship through boxing. And how great is that? She gets into the ring just to see what it's like, to get into the, the mental side of, of, uh, of his son. It's just a great story, and she won the fight. And he won his fight on Saturday night. She was in attendance at the Barclays Center. I didn't get to see her, but I know she was cheering on her son, Chordell Booker, 9-0, signed with Al Heyman's Premier Boxing Champion. But great stuff out of Cheryl Morrison. Let's see. Maybe she'll fight again. Maybe we'll have to get her on the show. It's been a great show. Inside Boxing Live, we're going to wrap it up. we got a special thanks to our two guests, Brian Campbell of CBS Sports and, of course, Keith One-Time Thurman. Great job by our producer, the super producer, the Superman. Nick Canobio behind the glass. I'm Dan Canobio signing off. Remember, fans, Inside Boxing Live is the show for the fans. We'll see you next time.